Today's episode of the Mets Up Podcast is sponsored by Anchor. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free. First off, that's huge. And that's what we use here on the Mets Up Podcast. I highly suggest it. There are creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your own phone or computer. Anchor will distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many other streaming services. And you're allowed to make money from your podcast from day one with no minimum listenership. It's literally everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So make sure you guys download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. What's up, Mets Up listeners? Back here for episode number 61 of the Mets Up podcast. Of course, I'm your co-host, Draftneck Mark. Mark Molino here with James Shiano. Jeter had no range. Talk about the New York Mets, and boy, do we have a lot to talk about. James, he did his jinx. He texted me, was it yesterday, two days ago, and he said... It was yesterday, like at like 5 in the yeah, afternoon. and you said, I don't know what we're going to talk about on this podcast. There's nothing to talk about. And literally since then, we have seen Luis Rojas get hired as the Yankees' third base coach, which is is more so funny than really having to be talked about. Noah Syndergaard has signed with the Los Angeles Angels out of nowhere, blindsided, and we have a GM. We have a GM. So there have been three big things that have happened in Mets world since that text. The James Shiano jinx is real. It's alive. And luckily for us, it gives us something to talk about here on this episode of the Mets Up Podcast. So you heard what we're going to be talking about. The topics, they're big. We got a lot to say about them, as well as we're going to do the Brett Beatty interview at the end. And we're going to talk about Marcus Stroman. We're going to break down what we think his contract should look like, what the Mets should be offering him, his value, just kind of breaking down Marcus Stroman in general, which, as you guys know, we want Marcus Stroman on this team, especially after this Noah Syndergaard news. Now, before we do get going into that, you guys know I got to shamelessly plug. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at MetsUp. YouTube channel, MetsUp Podcast. The videos, I'm serious now. The videos are back. It's off-season, Mark, as James said, and I'm grinding. I'm ready to get going. We're going to have content out the wazoo coming at you through the video form as well. Uh, if you're listening to us, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you can find us. Give us a five-star rating. Give us a review. And now I bring in James. James, how we doing? I'm doing good, man. Kind of in a haze right now. Got off a red-eye flight this morning. Took an awkwardly timed nap. But I'm feeling good. I'm ready to talk about the Mets after I created so much content for us on this show i actually didn't know that you came back today i thought you came back yesterday no red eye that's that's a rough flight but that see what we're doing for you listeners and viewers we come off a red eye flight we come off of making videos and we're ready to talk baseball let's do it let's talk about noah syndergaard that's the first thing that i think everybody wants to hear our opinion on hear our thoughts and all that because it came out of nowhere i mean there hasn't been any grumblings any rumblings any suspicion that Noah Syndergaard would, one, sign right now, or two, anywhere else besides the New York Mets. And here come the Los Angeles Angels, $21 million on a one-year contract, and Noah Syndergaard is gone. He's completely gone. You said it in the intro, but the Mets got absolutely blindsided here. Like This came out of left field, nowhere intense. I mean, the Angels are always good for one kind of wild signing every offseason that you wouldn't expect, and we'll get to that with Billy Epler later. But the market just seemed completely quiet. He also didn't really seem to me like a guy who could have benefited from trying to jump the market with a signing. Like, if I was Noah Syndergaard, I would have really either tried to blow the qualifying offer out of the water or get a multi-year commitment at somewhere near that number. And while he had this qualifying offer deadline that was looming before the lockout were to happen, it still just seems like he had a couple more weeks to juice this market. He didn't seem to do that. 
or have any desire to at all. Yeah, especially because the CBA doesn't expire until December 1st. So Yeah, we have two weeks. We have two weeks that he could have negotiated, and especially now with this new article coming out by David Lennon, I believe, of the Daily Post, who talked about basically that Noah Syndergaard didn't even give the Mets a chance to negotiate. You just mix two newspapers together. Daily Post? Yeah, Daily News. New York Post. Yeah, that's that's about right. Daily News, <laughs> whatever what he's from. I actually have no clue what he's from, but he wrote the article about it and basically said that Syndergaard had no negotiations with the Mets, it seems like, and had no interest in coming back to New York, had no intent. He wanted to go somewhere new, start fresh. And that's just so different than what we were hearing from Noah to at the end of the year, which is kind of weird. I mean, a lot of Mets fans over the years have taken shots at Noah Syndergaard for... Um... I don't want to call him antics because they're not antics, but just his uh, his personality, the way he conducts himself. That sometimes he is uh, he's kind of a little bit brash, especially on social media and with the media. I just said media back to back words, but those are different things. Social media and the actual news media takes dates to New York Rangers games. He hangs out in the outfield shirtless with spandex on. Like he's just a different kind of guy. So I'm not like shocked that he would have lied through his teeth to the Mets and used their qualifying offer as leverage to get. Literally a couple million extra dollars for elsewhere. But I just, I, don't know, I guess I'm hurt a little bit that he was said so many things. Or maybe he was just surprised that he got a deal that was slightly more. And, and Noah Syndergaard's like, I'm not going to turn down a couple million dollars. Like, who's turned down a couple million dollars? Not me. Not me. But to say that it doesn't hurt would be a lie. I mean, we have the great memories of Noah. And he basically came up in the system. I know he's originally a Toronto Blue Jay, but he came up with the Mets. That's really what he did. And you had that World Series where he threw the ball at Alcides Escobar. Come get me, 60 feet, 6 inches away. He had a great 2016 season. He came and he had some really big performances for us, especially like even in the game that we lost to the Giants in that playoffs. He was fantastic. He lost to Madison Bumgarner, who's one of the best postseason pitchers of all time. So it felt like that Noah Syndergaard really was a Met, and especially hearing his comments about how he wanted to pitch for the Mets next year. He was the qualifying offer. He put out the tweet about basically like hugging the teat after he got the qualifying offer from the Mets. It was so bizarre that they basically weren't even given a shot to try and do more, it felt like. And also, like, maybe they didn't even really want to, which that doesn't make sense considering that they did offer him the qualifying contract. But Noah Syndergaard's coming off a year where he threw 10 innings and he has not thrown a breaking ball since before the COVID pandemic. So, like, you're going to pay a guy $20 million to maybe give you 100 innings? Like, maybe. We don't even know if we're going to give 100 innings. That's why this contract is more than anything else weird from the angels perspective because like i said the angels are a team who consistently gives out contracts that make you scratch your head so it's kind of hard for me to look at something the angels did and i like my smart lenses don't go on my stupid lenses go on like the value in giving Noah Syndergaard a contract that was better than the mets qualifying offer was to buy this year of rehab at uh, like a like a little bit of a higher rate so the next year you can buy a year of actual production at the same rate so you're going kind of like you're losing value year one you're getting it year two it turns out to be a good contract and you're not really doing that like i don't know what kind of workload the angels are expecting for a guy that just gave 21 million dollars for one year i feel like his role if you're smart going into next year is similar to what we saw with michael kopech with the white Sox, which is gonna be like a two three inning swing man a guy who could just like kind of take over what you're paying that guy 20 million dollars no but that's what i'm saying the 20 million dollar price tag is weird and whenever we have talked about noah with pay outside of the qualifying offer we have been saying what like two for 40 and the reason yeah. was like you just said that you're gonna pay a little bit more in the first year so that you can get him at a discounted rate and it ends up being 20 million a year which would be fair but for only a one-year contract is where you scratch your head because there just is no way that noah Syndergaard pitches more than 
at maximum 120 innings this year. And if he does, that's malpractice. Yeah, definitely. And he probably won't even want to because it'll ruin his value for next season, especially if he isn't like super effective for all of those innings. And like, not to toot my horn, but I did say Noah Syndergaard's market would be a little hotter than people expected a few weeks ago just because he is one of the highest upside pitchers you will ever see reach free agency. 100%. Like he, he can be that good. I just don't see that happening next season. And that's why the $18 million qualifying offer was always, like, not a great value for the Mets. But you send that out just because you can hold on to your own upside and then you can have your own training staff working with Noah every single day and analyzing him so you can be more prepared to offer a long-term contract if and when it came to that. And you could also have your own research and development people watching him to make sure everything is in line with the way it used to be and that these things could still be stable in the future. But now you lose that, and that is that really all the Mets were paying for is the question. Yeah, and it also makes me question even more what the Mets were talking about when that like rumor about that the Mets weren't going to give him the qualifying offer because they thought his market was going to be a little bit quiet seemingly not he got over over the qualifying offer in value like a tiny bit over whoever seemed to be valuating and even thought about not giving him the qualifying offer where's that guy he was so far off he couldn't have been more right because apparently the angels and the blue jays were making a push that the blue jays were highly interested in Syndergaard as well they just weren't able to get an offer in either so i just it, everything feels so weird the met fan in me is sad because i like Syndergaard as a player i like him as a person he was one of my favorite guys i, I have a Syndergaard jersey behind me but I, i'm spin zoning it and i think it's gonna end up being okay i i think it's gonna end up being fine i mean the to me is that what we're going for fine is that the goal well here's what happens like you just said like what was Syndergaard really going to do coming into this year and especially for the price tag that we have here's how it can be good you take this $20 million now that the Mets aren't going to be able to use, and you spend it. You have to use it, and that can be t- used towards a guy that maybe we're going to talk about here a little bit later, Marcus Stroman or some of the other pitchers on the market. Now that Syndergaard is gone and you have this free $18 million, it has to be used elsewhere, and it has to be used on starting pitching. We have to use it somewhere. If you really do want to spin zone it, like I guess that now you're going to have like a more stable projection for the pitcher you spend that $20 million on than Syndergaard because his range of outcomes for next season was incredibly wide as it was going into the season, it turned out to be a zero. Like, there's a there's a world where Noah Syndergaard just not good next year and only throws, like, 45 ineffective innings, still throws no sliders, and he goes to free agency next year again looking for another one-year prove-it deal because he's not ready. But the only thing that just doesn't make sense in my mind logically is why the Mets, I guess the fact that maybe they didn't have a chance to counter, which I, I just can't really see how that's, like, wholly possible. If that's the case, then Noah Syndergaard's agent should be fired. But there's no way that's true because the agents are CAA, and there's no way that those people don't get the money when it's there. So where's the logic in sending out the qualifying offer and not adding a couple million more to it if push came to shove? Yeah, unless did the Mets maybe know that there was really no shot that Noah was coming back? Did they get a whisper that there was no chance and they're like, we can get a free draft pick? But then maybe if they could have gotten a free draft pick, that but you're leveraging $18 million over a second round draft pick? Like that's not a good value proposition. And not even a good second round draft pick. I think it's like in the 70 to 90 range apparently because he didn't get paid that much. It's, it's weird. I think... If the Mets actually had a president of baseball operations and a legitimate GM right now, I think we'd probably have a little more clarification as to what's going on. But like when Billy Epler does inevitably inevitably get announced, I don't even think he's going to be able to have an answer for this. He's not been working for the team. So like he's closer to the Angels than the Mets. Did the Mets get caught with their pants down? Did they get caught? I mean, it's weird because like there really is no punishment here except for the fact that we don't have that starting pitcher on our rotation. But even then... He was a shell of himself because he wasn't going to be able to be the value of someone who's going to get paid $18 million. So it's like, it's a weird give and take right now. Also, 
it's the lesson of the blow that we haven't really seen him pitch in two years. Like Noah Syndergaard has not been a part of this organization for two years, basically since he got Tommy John surgery. So it's not like we were really expecting or have be, like remained used to his production. It's just something that we knew existed and could be there. So I'm also not that concerned about losing it. Also, I think I mentioned CAA before. We should include that they're based in Los Angeles, California. And a lot of these big-time agencies today, like Scott Boris's group and CAA, have their own training staffs, their own analytics department. They all do that stuff internally. So I think that this could be a year where Noah Syndergaard and his people said, we want to all be close together for the entire year, everyone be on the same page because of how important they know the next offseason is. Yeah, I, I don't know. This is this is a weird one. This is a weird one from all sides. I mean, I, I get it from Noah. You got paid. I can't blame him at all for yeah, wanting to get— a couple extra million. Yeah, getting a couple extra million dollars. Living in sunny California, that's a beautiful place to live. Like, mm-hmm. way better than cold New York City right now. So I get it from the player perspective— it's just confusing from honestly both sides, from the Angels and the Mets, and I it and Noah Syndergaard. It doesn't signal anything for us with the Mets, and that's probably why, which will lead us into the next thing here. We have to get a GM, and it seems like Billy Epler. It's not official yet, right? It's still not officially official, but it's about as good as possible. It seems like because Billy Epler wanted the job, he got offered the job, and everyone's saying it's base. It's on the it's on the goal line, you know that old saying. It's still, I don't know, something could go wrong. I kind of hope something goes wrong. Maybe Billy Epler could fail his physical. Yeah, that'd be cool. I mean, <laughs> let's talk about the elephant in the room here. Neither of us wanted Billy Epler a few weeks ago when we were Not talking about him. And I, the more and more research that I've done about Billy Epler, the less and less I'm getting excited about him. I mean, there's one saving grace, and it's that Artie Moreno was his owner, and Artie Moreno is batshit crazy, and basically said, you have to do this and this, and handcuffed him a little bit. But even then, there are some... Really glaring issues with Billy Epler. That's your saving grace? I thought your saving grace would be that he's best friends with David Stern. Oh, yeah, that too. That's a saving grace. But That's even, the actual saving grace here. Even then, that is really a, that's a pipe dream at the end of the day. I guess. He's also best friends with Brian Cashman, who I've also said is probably going to be uh, very close to this job next offseason. But then we'll worry about the offseason of 2022 when the time comes. Yeah. So I'm sure that, that'll be a big story in and of itself. But we... Mark and I have done a lot of research here about Billy Epler's past year for the listeners at home, and we found some real uh, nuggets. The front offices he were a part of were not just bad, but like kind of shockingly bad. He really hasn't been associated with winning ever since he's gotten uh, roles of importance. He was with the Yankees in 2009 when they won that World Series, but he was credited for signing guys in the past, like Andrew Jones, like Freddie Garcia, like Bartolo Colon for the Yankees, none of which who helped these teams win, and those were some bad bad Yankees teams. I mean, 2012 to 2014 when he was his assistant GM were, I mean, they still were better than the Mets, but they were some of the worst Yankee teams that you can think of. Like that's, that was a bad decade for the Yankees. That was probably the worst three-year stretch for the Yankees in anybody's lifetime who's listening to this podcast. That was the first time in 20 years the Yankees missed the postseason in back-to-back seasons. In 2013, when they were struggling, or maybe that's 2012, no, that was 2013. That was 2013. 2012, the Yankees beat the Orioles in the uh, divisional series, and they lost, They got swept by the Tigers. 2013, the Yankees were kind of meandering all season long. I think Jeter and A-Rod were both hurt. And instead of like selling and picking up uh, prospects that the Yankees wound up doing in a few years after Billy Epler left during a bad season, they actually acquired Alfonso Soriano. I was just about to go through that roster of the 2014 Yankees. <laughs> Something that Brian Cashman said he was not supportive of doing. So if the real GM wasn't supportive of it, it seems like someone went over somebody's head and talked to the assistant general manager and said, let's get a Yankee back in town. That was a bad move. And then, again, 2014, the Yankees just mired 
and being a bad team for the entire season, and they continue to acquire at the trade deadline rather than break down in a team that had no business winning. Yeah, some of the te- guys that were on this roster, Brian Roberts at age 36, put up a strong 659 OPS. Uh, it's two, two, $2 million. What, what are you going to yeah. do? You had Ichiro, who was 40 years old, who got 400 at-bats that year. You have Carlos Beltran, who was 38 years old, who got 400 at-bats. Alfonso Soriano got 225. Some other names to throw out there. What? Well, in between those two seasons, the Yankees gave the famous contract to Jacoby Ellsbury. Yes, the Jacoby Billy Ellsbury. Billy was part of that negotiation. He was part of that negotiation. I mean, just the names that are on here. Is- Can you even call that a negotiation, or would you just call that an absolute bum rush? He got fucked. <laughs> I, I want to shake all Jacoby Ellsbury's agents' hands. That was, that was one of the greatest negotiations in history of negotiations. Truly a swindle at its finest. And that happened be- with Billy Epler in a role of power. <laughs> And not saying that he was the one who did that. We're not blaming Billy Upper for the Jacoby Ellsbury contract, but he was sitting at the table. He didn't say no. He definitely wasn't able to stop it. And to me, that's a little scary. But like most white guys do in baseball, Billy Upler was able to fail upward and was hired to be the general's general manager in 2015. 2015 was a famous mess for the Los Angeles Angels because that was one of the last winning seasons they actually enjoyed. But Mike Sosha walked into Artie Moreno's office and pointed to Jerry DePoto and said, it's either me or him. And if we do analytics, it's going to be him. And they fired Jerry DePoto. Mike Sosha is the biggest anti-analytic guy I've ever heard about. He, he used to throw people out of the locker rooms, reporters, if you mentioned anything that wasn't like batting average, RBIs. He was like, get out of here. I don't want to hear it. And Jerry DePoto's gone on to be something like a superstar working with the Mariners ever since. So that was a bad move by Artie Moreno. But whatever, Billy Upler has the job. And those Angels teams from 2015 to 2020 are some of the most chaotic baseball rosters that have ever been assembled. And of course, he was a little hamstrung. He had to deal with massive contracts that were given to Albert Pujols, Josh Hamilton, I think CJ Wilson. Dan Heron, I think, was still. Yeah, there were some bad contracts there for sure. But sometimes when life gives you lemons, you have to make lemonade. Like, life gave Billy Upper lemons, and he gave us back lemons. <laughs> It really is it. Like There were like a lot of guys in the bottom of these rosters that wound up being massive contributors later in their careers that Billy Upper said wanted no business as a part of this team. Like They got nothing out of G-Man Choi and C.J. Crone. They were just they were guys who just were shuffled up in town between AAA Salt Lake and eventually just let go for nothing. They DFA'd Kirby Yates when he was bouncing around as a reliever, which is hilarious. He, he traded for a 29-year-old Justin Upton, was tricked by some success, and then gave a 30-year-old Justin Upton five years for $105 million. These are not winning moves. No, there was not a whole lot of winning going on in Los Angeles. I mean, you think about the talent that they had, and one of the guys that you always think of is Mike Trout. And they did nothing. But that was it. There was no. I don't want to say there was other talent in this That's team. That's fair. He, there wasn't a lot to work with. But Billy Epler like really found a way to never ever improve at all, even slightly. It seemed like Billy Epler really fell in love with guys who were towards the tail end of their prime. He's like, oh god, I'd love to give you six or seven years and pay you a lot of money to be old. Like that's what I'm so into paying you after you're thirty. They had like La Stella on those teams. Um, who's some other position players those Angels teams had? I think they gave Andrelton Simmons a bag. They did give Andrelton Simmons the bag. I, mean, I don't know if that was Epler, though. That might have been a, No, that it, have been. it was him. So he gave him the Andrelton Simmons contract. He hired Brad Osmus to be the special assistant to himself. Which that guy In is 2017. Great. I, there's very few managers I hate. I hate Brad Osmus. Well, you better get used to it because he's going to manage the Mets this season. <laughs> what, what a time to be a Mets fan. Also, Billy Epler was a part of the Angels organization as they underwent an actual narcotics scandal. Yeah, that was a little somber note there. Definitely. He hired Mickey Calloway, which him being a sexual predator was, as Ken Rosenthal and Brick Gurley put it last year, the worst kept secret in baseball. Billy Upper hired him. That's the guy I want. Yeah, that's the guy I want. And then 
like we're going to throw out some roster names right now, but pitching especially. Like the pitching in those Billy Epler years for the Angels was actual nonsense. Like Garrett Richards was starting every opening day. Matt Schumacher, Nick Tropiano, Parker Bridwell, Jarrett Parker. Like these names are absolutely insane. I got a few for you. How about Ricky Nolasco at 34 Ricky years Nolasco, old? Ricky Nolasco, my God. Remember Justin Bohr? Yeah. He got 500 at bats a year for these teams. Oh. As they let CJ Cron and G-Man Choi go. God, these teams were so bad. He tried to give Andrew Bailey another shot, the guy who hadn't been able to pitch in like six years. Uh, yeah. He brought around Brendan Ryan everywhere he's ever been. He loves Brendan Ryan. I'm sure he'll find his way into the front office somehow with the Mets. He just like doesn't make good moves. Danny Espinosa, did you mention him? No, it's a time of La Stella, so oh, yeah, yeah. kind of. Danny Espinosa had a real strong 500 OPS in 90 games there. Like He had a knack for finding just garbage. But these were consistently the dumbest rosters in baseball for five years. You would look at the Angels and be like, who, who the fuck is playing third base for the Angels? Every single year, every single night, every single summer from 2015 through 2020 without fail until they signed Rendon because I was just specifically talking about third base. But Epler didn't want Rendon. <laughs> really? okay, Epler did like, not want Rendon. Artie Moreno's like, we're getting Anthony Rendon because I need to know who my third baseman is. <laughs> It's just chaos. And, like, if I wanted to give Epler one small victory, like, their player development did slightly improve under him. They went from having clearly one of the worst farm systems in baseball to somewhere in, like, the 20s. <laughs> Which is, like, still horrible. That's something. He drafted Joe Adele, Brandon Marsh, and Griff Cannon, guys who made the major leagues and who looked like they might be okay players. Like, I'll take that, I guess. Yeah. Uh, the thing that I at least give him the most credit for is Otani because no one really yeah, had the Angels as true. a team pegged for Otani, and Otani ended up there. And that could be something that we could take as a positive for the Mets because, say, Suzuki, well, he's not going to be Shohei Otani, is the next big thing coming out of Japan, and he's due to post any day now. So maybe Billy Epler has a little hand up in international negotiations, which the Mets have been notoriously horrible at. I think just being in California gives you a leg up in international negotiations. Being on the West Coast and being a four-hour flight to Japan rather than being in New York and having like an 11-hour, 12-hour, 13-hour flight back and forth to Japan. I don't think you know like how far part. Japan is. I'm taking, a, I'm taking a guess. It is not four hours from California. Flight? How long's a flight from Japan to Los Angeles? I'm looking it up right now. I'm pretty sure it's like close to 10. No. <laughs> four hours. I'm going to laugh if it's... It is 10-hour flight. <laughs> <laughs> so, even better, it's 17 to get back to New York. Yeah, I mean, they're closer. By, by all means, it oh, is closer. What? Japan? That's an easy one. Four Two hours. That's how long it takes to get from New York to Arizona. <laughs> I've never been to Asia. <laughs> anyway, back to Billy Epler after we just forgot how long far away Japan is. <laughs> what can you do? You're tired. You had a red eye. Red eye, yeah. Your flight from Utah to New York was four hours today. You're right. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Oh, boy is right. But bottom line, these teams that Epler had high-ranking roles with, there was one series victory in the playoffs, and it was over Buck Walter and the Orioles. <laughs> Who could also be a manager of this Mets team? I give that no credit whatsoever to that. Like, the only really thing I'm going to pull from this is that well, two things. One, him and David Stearns are best friends, and the two... The Mets are beefing up their analytics department in such a way that it seems like we could possibly even insulate Billy Epler from all the baseball decisions, which would be great. Yeah, I mean, like, this, it's, it sounds so disrespectful, but, like, boy, I don't feel great giving him the keys to my no. car. There's no juice here. I'm not sure if he has a license. I'm really not sure how he ever got one. I'm not sure who you took the test with. But he has failed every single test given, and he's getting another job. I don't... The, like... I want to. I'm, I'm not all done with Steve Cohen yet. That was a lot of like uh, stuttering there because I'm thinking of my words really carefully here. Not done with Steve, but boy, oh boy, it feels like a lot of the old same stuff that we had with the Wilpons. Guys who are not qualified 
or have either failed at the job that they have, and you're like, eh, we'll give you another shot. Get, try it with us. It could be different. It just feels like there's going to be a boys club again. And, like, boys clubs have won World Series. Theo Epstein has won two World Series as a member of various boys clubs. It seems like those Nationals front offices were boys clubs. But this just feels like, like frat house vibes right now. And also, like, being the richest owner in baseball, not shelling out a few extra million dollars for Noah Syndergaard. Even though he may not have had an opportunity to. That's just also a knock on the front office himself for not being aware this was happening. Yep, you can't. He got taken right out under your nose. That can't happen. That can't happen when he's your guy. He, he was on the team. You can't just, you can't let that happen. And then adding in this guy, Billy Epler, who I hope he proves me wrong. This guy, Billy Epler. I hope he proves us both wrong. I hope we look like idiots and you can come back to episode number 61 of the Messed Up Podcast and go, you morons, you didn't believe in Billy. I will happily Turn the other cheek and get right on board, but I am not feeling great right now. Hey, there'd be nothing better than me eating these words. Like I would be so thrilled if thou Billy Epler makes all these cunning, attractive contract offers right now, and we have this incredible team of value and talent and strength, but I'd like to see that happen before. And they, again, the one thing that the Mets fans can hang their hats on this offseason is that we're really building up this analytics department. We're hiring tons of new people there. We're going to be up to about 30 by the end of the offseason, and we're acquiring talent, like talent from like um, an employee standpoint in creative ways, saying that we just kind of want people who know about data, know about statistical modeling, all the things that the best organizations in baseball do when they beef up their analytics staff. You kind of want some people to know about baseball, but it's kind of helpful to have some people who don't, so there's no biases, there's fresh perspectives. But for some reason, some people didn't think that was that good of an idea, and a lot of people found a reason to jump on the Mets for that. Yeah, which uh, that leads us to our favorite friend, uh, John Boy. Jim Bob. Jim Bob. Um, this was a pretty awful, awful take. Uh, the Mets put out a job posting, right, about analytics. They wanted so- to hire someone at a very low-ranking job. Uh, I think it was an intern. Essentially no rank, actually, yeah. No rank. You're just working for the Mets. We're going to pay you. We want to see what you got. We want some information. We want a, a new, fresh idea on how things should be looked at, information studies, all this kind of stuff. I think you're, you're pulling up the tweet right now as I'm talking about it, but people around the league who know what they're talking about we're applauding the Mets for this. They were saying that this was actually a really smart move that the Mets were making. This isn't something that you should be lull metsing them about. On the outside looking in, if you don't really have a clue, I get it when you see no baseball experience, but that's the old man, old heads talking. Heim Bloom, like we always bring up, majored in the classics. He had no baseball experience, and he just ran the Boston Red Sox to a really great run in the playoffs for a team that kind of had no business if you looked at them in 2020. This isn't a bad idea, so I'm going to let you read the tweet here and... We can all laugh. It was a quote tweet from someone named Joe Setian, who, um, I don't know, Digital Communications for Goldwater, Inc. So I don't know what his um his baseball credentials are, but he's a libertarian, so I guess he has his own views, as, as most libertarians do. The Mets are hiring an associate analyst in baseball analytics. Knowledge of baseball not required. John Boy quote tweeted that and said, Position, associate analyst in baseball analytics. Essential duties. Build a statistical model to answer baseball-related questions. Amount of baseball knowledge required, none. Step right up and greet the Mets. And a lot of people on Twitter jumped down his throat, and deservedly so, because John Boy, for some reason, continues to think that analytics are ruining the game of baseball rather than being a catalyzing factor to the success of baseball's best teams. I See, I don't even think it's necessarily that... Well, I guess he did have that nerd tweet, which was super weird. I think mm-hmm. that's a little bit more of like trying to rile everybody up and get impressions as well, because then he like backs down yeah. on it in the replies, as he always does. But he really, he loves to take shots at the Mets. Punching down's never fun. Punching down's never cool, especially when the Yankees have, last time I've, I checked my watch, they haven't won anything in fucking forever either. So 
I don't understand the, the low blow, low-hanging fruit. I get it. It's easy. It was an easy tweet, but it was great that he did look dumb doing it because basically anybody that's anyone in the baseball world was like, no, you idiot. This is actually good. This is super consistently how it works. A lot of very smart baseball people quote-tweeted him and got his reply saying, like, oh, no, this is actually really normal, Jeremy Frank. Um, a couple people from Mets Twitter, a couple people from Baseball Prospectus and Fangraphs, and then... I kind of wanted to look back into this to see if other teams had done similar things to this. And it brought me back to my favorite baseball job posting of all time. It was about May 15th, 2019, the day that the Mets traded for Wilmer Font. Wilmer Font? Yeah, Wilmer Font from the Tampa Bay Rays. Wilmer Font had run out of options already in that season in May. And the the Rays don't like holding pitchers without options because they like to use their AAA pitching staff as kind of like a taxi squad at all times with the Major League roster. So Font being out of options, the Rays had no desire for him anymore. They trade him to the Mets for a player to be named later that turned out to be a 17-year-old guy who throws 97 miles an hour, who has not been very good yet. I will say he's not been good. He walked nine guys per nine innings this season, so that was a good one for the Mets. But later that day, after taking Wilmer Font a couple hundred thousand dollars off the books, the Rays posted three jobs to Fangraphs. Research and development intern, a development ops intern, and a database engineer. And the biggest job that they put up there was a development operations engineer. That was going to be the actual, like, a job, not even like an intern or an analyst. It was someone who they were going to pay and like do things that were really meaningful in the organization. And in the job description, the Rays did not mention the word baseball even one time. And a lot of the internships they did and some of the other positions they did, but they didn't mention it one time. And I'll read it to you pretty quickly right now. The Tampa Bay Rays are seeking a development operations engineer to embed with their baseball research and development department to improve efficiency and increase the reliability of their products and tools. A primary goal for this position is to reduce the amount of time spent on code and infrastructure maintenance while positively impacting research progress. As as I get halfway through this, people can see the way that people hire these baseball jobs now. You're like you're smart guys. Yeah, you're you're a smart you're a smart fucker who's willing to take no money. This person will work in collaboration with the current staff staff and develop the best practices for the department. This role will have the expertise to develop a framework to facilitate continuous evaluation of their models and, and to ensure reliability and optimize their speed. The new hire will also have a strong ability to relate to staff and effectively communicate new practices. If you have a passion for improving processes, automation, developing best practices, and being a great teammate, consider the responsibilities below. They didn't mention baseball at all. They don't no. even care if you know what baseball is. No. They just want to know that you can get into a, like a database and optimize it. Yeah, I mean, this job isn't the GM job. This job isn't no. even the assistant GM. It's not even the assistant to the assistant of summer the assistant intern. GM. It's a summer internship that is no risk with some sort of reward possibly. Maybe we get the smartest guy ever and we're like, holy shit, he figured something out. Such a weird, such a weird hill to die on again. Numbers and info are good. It doesn't matter who it comes from. And again, these people just love bashing the Mets because you can you can make a tweet about the Mets being bad and it's like 100 retweets, like 1,500 favorites, like instantly, no matter what, anything. It's just like doing this stuff without like having a real understanding of what goes on in baseball now just kind of makes you look stupid and kind of lo- hurts your own legitimacy and reputability. Yeah, it's, it's not a great look. I also want to talk about another Clown of the Week real quick that I just remembered. It was just funny because Andy Martino put out another ridiculous article that I think we need to talk about for a quick second. And the title was, Why Max Scherzer is a Better Fit for the New York Mets Than Justin Verlander. Oh, that's a good idea. That's, that's a crazy article. <laughs> I'll save you, save you all the time, guys. It's because he's a better pitcher. How about that? Why Carlos Correa is a better fit for the Mets than Javier Baez. It's because yeah. he's better than him. It's like unbelievable. 
sometimes the people that get to talk about baseball on a national scale. It's like, why steak is a better option for me for dinner tonight than Skittles? It's more nutritional value. <laughs> why Tokyo is on a four-hour flight? <laughs> How long does it hours? take to get from Tokyo to Los Angeles? Hint, the answer might surprise James. <laughs> Tokyo, it's quicker to get to Tokyo from L.A. than it is from New York. <laughs> I just hate the way this baseball discourse is going. Like, there's just need, There's so many smart people who exist in the world, who write things, who tweet things, who talk about things. Like, we can't keep giving credit to the people who try to take away from the game rather than add to it. No, let's embrace the people who are trying to push this game forward, who are trying to make it more accessible, who are trying to make it a better game. These numbers are making the game of baseball better. You're getting better players, you're getting better, better uh, whatchamacallit, outcomes, you're getting better results. The game is getting better whether you like it or not, and it's because of this influx of information. Information's good. Let's keep feeding our team with information needed to become successful. And definitely. And also, that tweet like made his rounds just because the Mets actually included that precise line, like knowledge of baseball not required. Like That's easy to highlight and just make a tweet about. People read that and laugh because people don't really know about baseball, and they say that. But all these other operations jobs, engineering jobs in baseball, they don't really require baseball knowledge. Because again, sometimes you want people with a fresh perspective. Like, if you really know about baseball and love baseball and think about baseball a certain way, it could cloud your judgment when sometimes data is telling you something different. Like the fact that you should shift, or the fact that you should always swing on a 3-0 pitch, or the fact that you should never bunt with a man on first. Sometimes if you know too much about baseball, that won't make sense to you. It's like a law firm hiring a secretary and then being like, you don't need any law. You don't need to be a lawyer at all. And be like, well, but it's a law firm. You don't know any laws? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's true for this like this specific job, but a lot of other teams hire high-ranking people who know nothing about baseball. Correct. Just because yes. they're geniuses in data. And some people are willing to learn and just, again, give a fresh perspective. Which we're good with. And then another quick little thing here before we get into Marcus Stroman because we want to do a deep dive on him because we've been teasing it forever. Luis Rojas, new third-base coach of the New York Yankees. It's going to be sick to watch him just take over that job for the dead, dead-waiting, dead man-walking or whatever, Aaron Boone. He's going to be the new manager of the Yankees, I would say, by the end of the year. Hot take. There's absolutely no way that happens. <laughs> They're going to fire him. He's going to start off ice cold, and Luis Rojas going to take over. He's going to be great, and we're going to have to see that, and I'm miserable again. I wouldn't even be that mad if Luis Rojas is a great manager for the Yankees, because at least we'd be right. That's true. We would be right, but boy, would it suck to be right. I'd love to be wrong about this one, too. <laughs> Billy Epler and Luis Rojas, prove me wrong, please. Let's talk about Marcus Stroman now. This is a guy who's been with the Mets for the last couple years. He had a really great 2021 season. He looked really awesome after taking 2020 off. He was a guy who did a similar deal, took the qualifying offer, bet on himself, and it's going to end up being a payday for him. And this is the big thing to talk about Stroman here is what is his true value? Because he is not your typical ace. He's not a guy who throws 97, 98 miles an hour. He doesn't strike out the side. He doesn't have this massive swing and miss stuff, but... He puts up numbers that make you believe that he is 100% a frontline starter. And the fact of the matter is, is that he's available all the time and he's consistent and he's been good and he took jumps forward this year. We're going to try to price out Marcus Stroman for the Mets this year or just the market in general. I think we both agree we want him back on the Mets, especially with the Syndergaard departure. He should be back on the Mets. He's important. Oh, he's super important. And especially the fact that some pitchers have been flying off the boards. More pitcher contracts have been given out in this quick little window before the lockout than any other position. So it seems like he's a guy who could get paid soon, and I honestly expect him to based on how aggressively he's been campaigning for the last few months. Anyway, it seems like he wants to get this done, get his money before the lockout, get a nice signing bonus to take him into wherever he has to go. And like I really think that would behoove the Mets to give him basically what he wants as soon as possible. Our guy Mike Mayer uh, said that he has a source that says Stroman's basically looking at 5 for 125, which I think is exactly what we said. When we did like our initial, like our little teaser expectation about uh, two weeks ago, 
And I think you have to look at the recently handed out Eduardo Rodriguez and Jose Barrios deals as kind of baselines for where you can pinpoint Marcus Stroman. And Erod specifically, because he has a very similar pitch mix to Stroman. He's a sinker slider guy who um, he's had strikeout success in the past, but he's not like Stroman where his best years have not been his most recent. But even that being said, he got a super chill deal with the Tigers. Five for 77. That's a great deal for everybody involved. I envy that deal. I don't know why the Mets were not in on that deal, truthfully. Well, I can tell you why. Why? We didn't have a GM. That's a good point. (laughs) (laughs) Edrod is a guy with good peripherals, even though he's not great. Like He'll never pitch game one of uh, of the World Series, but he'll pitch game three and you probably won't pull your hair out. And worst case scenario, as long as everything is okay with him health-wise, he will give you 160 to 190 innings, possibly get into that 200 range as he has a few times, and being able to work. And specifically with him, which is something that also could be true for Stroman, is that the Tigers bought out literally his entire prime. He got a five-year deal as a 28-year-old, so he's being paid from 28 to 33, which is like exactly where I want to be if I'm paying for a pitcher. And at only $16 million a year, like that is, that's a good-ass deal. And it also brings me to the contract given to Jose Barrios by the Blue Jays today, 7 for 131, which is just downright sexual. It's like, it's not highway robbery because it's actually like, he's making $131 million. They're not talking Ozzy Albies over here, but like, it's highway, highway robbery in the fact that like, that value for a guy like Jose Barrios, who is probably like a two starter really, but you yeah. know, people thought that about Zach Wheeler too, and he turned into an ace in the Blue Jays, as you've told me many times. They've figured out something with pitching development. Something's clicked there. There's a way where Jose Barrios way out exceeds that value. Absolutely. More so than he's going to under or like be under the value of what his contract is. Like he's, he was a very, that's a very good contract for the way he is right now. He's probably going to get better. Yeah. There's tons of upside that's baked into that number, especially because again, similar to Eduardo Rodriguez, they're paying Barrios from ages 27 to 34. Like that is just. Such a sweet spot for pitcher development right there. And he's making less than $20 million a year. Like, there's not that many pitchers of Jose Brios' skill level making less than $20 million a year. So when you take those two contracts that are coming out to about between 16 and $19.5 million a season, then you look at Stroman, who, similar to Brios, is incredibly durable. Similar to both of these guys, he's not 30 years old yet. And he's coming off the best season of his career, which is dissimilar to both of those guys. And I really am inclined to trust Trust Stroman's recent success, especially since he was traded to the Mets, the back end of 2019 and this past season, because he's striking out more batters than ever before. He's missing more bats than ever before, and he still has that remarkably high ground ball rate that was always his bread and butter. He's literally set career best in strikeout rates last two seasons pitched. He had his best strikeout minus walk rate this past season at 15.6%, and he had a 1.5 bump in his swing strike rate too, getting above 11%. So these are all like really good, and the bottom line is something definitely has clicked since Marcus Stroman's come to the Mets, and you could definitely see that it's the further development of his off-speed pitches and breakers specifically the split change the cutter and the slider like all of those are great things and that really makes me think that Marcus Stroman can be very successful for a very long time yeah I like the five for 125 feels just like the home for Stroman and especially now with this like I keep bringing it up this extra 18 million dollars let's say the Mets even valued him at five for 100 which I think would be the absolute lowest you would be able to get Stroman at the absolute lowest and I doubt he would even take that contract Let's just pretend we're at that world too. You now have this extra money to go to the 25 million. It's, it's a no brainer for me. The fact that he goes out and makes 30 starts a year, he's only not made 30 starts once in his career. And that was what 2018 and his injuries have never been arm related by the way, which no. is also huge, huge to a health of a pitcher. But before that 200 innings back to back years, I believe in 16 and 17 or 15 and 16, whatever it was, this guy's a workhorse. He did it this year. He threw 180 innings the year before he threw 180 innings. 
He is a workhorse. He goes out there on the mound. We saw how valuable he was. The Mets were still in the playoff race despite losing to Grom because we had a guy like Stroman going out every five days. If you really want to solidify this pitching staff, getting a guy like Stroman is so vastly important because of the fact that he's just out there every five days and he also is good. Absolutely. And I remember a couple of days ago, maybe a week ago now, Marcus Stroman posted like his entire isometric and biometric workout like plan on Twitter to show teams how strong he would be in the future. Just as like a as a check, I sent that to one of my good friends who is studying in a graduate program studying um, athletic science. What? Nick LaRue? Nick LaRue, yeah. I want to give Nick LaRue a shout-out. Yeah, big Nick LaRue shout-out on the podcast. And I was like, is this legit? Because Nick sends me workouts. He literally works for collegiate Division One athletics in every single sport. He's very sharp. He knows his shit. And he was like, this is an incredible program. This is way above my pay grade. Whoever's making up these workouts and doing Marcus Stroman's training is like a god. So I'll take that right to the bank. And that makes me more confident in Stroman's durability. And also, Stroman is kind of in a great position right now because he is in a very unique spot in this specific pitching market. We, we dissected the pitching market in last week's episode, but there are a lot of different tiers, and he really isn't his own as the most certain long-term bet out there because you have Robbie Ray, Carlos Rodon, and Kevin Gaussman, who are all scary, Verlander, Granke, and Kershaw, who are old, Scherzer, who is old but also really good, so he's not going to see the type of length that Stroman's going to get, Noah Syndergaard just signed with tons of upside, but has a massive question mark. And then the next nearest guys to that, those are like John Gray and Alex Cobb, who are just simply not on that level. So, like, out of all of those guys, you kind of separate, in my opinion, Gaussman and Stroman as the two with the fewest negatives who are still under 30 years old with the least injury concerns. And Stroman just simply has more of a track record, albeit definitely less of a ceiling because he does not throw 98 miles an hour, but certainly the best track record. And then you kind of look at that $25 million number. And it feels a little bit high just because if you look at guys who make that money. Like if Stroman signed for $25 million annually, that would give him the 10th highest AAV of all pitchers in baseball. Directly sandwiched in between, get ready for this, Jacob deGrom and Zach Wheeler. That's painful. That is painful. So you look at that and you're like, that $25 million seems like too much. But then you look at this market that now is going to develop and seems like a great value. It's a very weird situation that baseball's in, but a really great situation that Marcus Stroman's in. Oh, Marcus Stroman's going to get paid, whether it's by the Mets or another team in baseball. He is going. I can't see him getting underneath that five for one twenty-five unless he does a Bauer-esque deal where he takes, for some reason, like a two-year deal for a lot more AAV. But he's worth it. He's one of the few guys that I am super confident about that's going to be able to pitch into his mid thirties and be just as effective as he is now. If 100%. not better, I like he might be better. He's a guy who we've seen as he's getting older and he's been tinkering his game and tinkering how he's pitching. He's learning more. He's getting better. He's not a thrower by any means. We said his stuff is not 98 miles an hour. He doesn't get by because of his velocity or anything like that. So as he gets older with age, it's almost like that weird uh, Adam Wainwright thing that's happening right now, where Adam Rain- Wainwright's been very effective in his later years, despite not having the elite stuff that you see from some of the best pitchers in the game. I, to me, Stroman feels like the safest bet out there on the market right now, especially when you are talking about these five-year contracts. While he may not have that stealing of being a Cy Young caliber pitcher, and by no means, Marcus Stroman, that dude plays with a chip on his shoulder. You tell him he can't win Absolutely. a Cy Young, he's going to do everything in his power to make you believe that he can win a Cy Young. I mean, Rick Porcello won a Cy Young. Yes, and I fully believe that Marcus Stroman can do it, but when you talk about, you know, obviously the top 10 best pitchers in baseball, you're looking at the guys who have this elite stuff, but Stroman is a part of that group of guys that really does know how to pitch, is on the field every five days, and is getting better. Like, 
it feels like you got to pull the trigger on this one. You have to bring Stroman back. Especially because innings are becoming such a valuable currency in baseball. There are so few pitchers who really go out there and pitch every five days anymore. I just wrote an article on Pitcher List that came out today about why Zach Wheeler should win the Cy Young, and simply just because of innings pitched. Like, back in 2010, 45 starting pitchers threw 200 innings. That's one. That's 1.5 per team. Last year it was three. Like, you need guys who you can, like, the rest of your pitching staff can rely on to give you breaks and be able to give you six, seven innings. Like, I'm I'm an advocate for, like, changing up the way we, like, handle pitching and look at pitching, but I still think that it you bake in a lot less risk when you know you have guys who are going to give you consistent innings. And I have no doubt that Marcus Stroman will be able to give consistent innings for an extended period of time. But that being said, you do look at his ceiling, and it kind of makes you be like, damn, because... I don't see any reason that Jose Barrio should make 22% less than Marcus Stroman in a single year window. If you're looking, if you're looking 19 versus 25 million dollars, yeah, of course, and that's if AAV is flat. I mean, like, yeah, could the Mets do a contract maybe where they front load it with Stroman and you pay him 27, 28 now, and he starts to be a little bit cheaper? Then does that make you feel better maybe about? His value for his top line, I don't know. I, this is just me nitpicking. Like, I'm, yeah. I feel fine about the value. I just don't feel great about it. You know what I mean? Especially because that Barrios contract was signed today. Yeah. And a lot of people, including you and I, really thought that he was the marquee acquisition that the Mets could have made this year to change their ceiling, not only for 2021, but for years beyond. And the Blue Jays have very much proven that to be true today. So... While I would definitely give Stroman that money, I think a lot of that now turns into how he looks inside the market rather than how he looks at baseball. But again, if you are going to start to consider innings as a currency, like Stroman will be able to give you that, and that should push his value up. But yeah. a guy like Barrios has that as well, so that also makes me like, damn. It's, it's very confusing. It's very confusing. All the numbers are telling you that wait, be patient, see what some other guys or what other dominoes fall, but then you see some of these dominoes that are falling, and you go, but that... That just doesn't make sense. And now, now I'm even more confused. And that's where we are with Stroman. We know what we would pay him. I'd give him a clean, like, 5 for 125. Or I, would, I would love to negotiate him, like, 6 for 120. I'd give him the extra year, let him be paid until he's 35 years old, and he'd cut a little AAV out of that. I don't know if he'd take that for the sixth year of security. I don't know if any team would give him 6 for 150. I kind of doubt it. But maybe 6 for 140 just to get that extra year and, like, cut that down a little under $25 million. But... What are you going to do? You Mets need innings, and Marcus Stroman's a stud. Yeah, and especially with the way that this rotation is looking going into next season, we, we got to have somebody that's going to give us a little stability. We talked about DeGrom and Walker, and how we both know that they're going to be there, but DeGrom's still a question mark because even though the elbow is apparently clear and clean, that's still scary. Taiwan always still has the injury risk just because of how many innings he pitched in the last three years and then how many he jumped to this year. You always got to mm-hmm. be, you know, little baby gloves with him. Carlos Carrasco is getting old. We got to have a guy that we know is going to be our rock, and that's kind of Marcus Stroman. He is your rock, who is also very good. Definitely. I, I do think the Mets would benefit from getting Stroman a contract before you see a guy like Gaussman or Robbie Ray sign. Because those guys, if, they're, if they push 30 mil average annual value, which I doubt unless either of them takes a shorter deal, you could it could set the market a little bit crazy, and you might lose out and even getting Stroman for $25 million. Like Gaussman especially, because him and Stroman are the same age. So you could see... Pretty similar contracts being handed out for them. Overall, I think we both agree. We want Stroman back to the Mets. We think that there's probably not going to be a contract that's ludicrous that he wants. It doesn't It doesn't seem like he's out or overpricing ten. himself by any means. If he wants a 10-year contract, yeah, that, that would be crazy. But I don't, it doesn't seem like Stroman's going for the 10-year contract. It doesn't seem like many people are going for 10-year contracts anymore. There are other guys to go after. 
But again, that stability, the ability to pitch into his mid-30s and still keep that same talent level. It doesn't seem like there's many or much regression that will really happen in Marcus Stroman's game as he gets to the older ages. He's very safe, I think, while you may not have the high upside, which you talked about, which is why you'd go a Gaussman route instead. I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Don't say that because Marcus Stroman's going to listen to this. I didn't say that. Okay, okay. You didn't say I that. Said, I said that Gaussman's potential contract could reset Stroman's market because no. I expect him... I was talking differently. What? I was saying that if you want to go the higher, higher ceiling route, you would go Kevin Gaussman. Okay, if I was betting on ceiling rather than floor, I would bet Gaussman. But I think the Mets need a floor bet right now, and that's yes. Stroman. I also, I wouldn't be shocked if over the next five years, Stroman outproduces Gaussman. Yeah, like he's he's good. He had a really good year this year. I feel like a lot of people kind of forgot how good Stroman was this year. You look at his numbers, he had a 3 ERA. His whip was one of the lowest of his career, if you're talking about just the most basic numbers. And like you said, even with the whiff rate and strikeout rate and just the, uh, he was attacking batters with different pitches. Looked really, really good. I think a lot of Mets fans agree with us that we want him back. I think the Mets also want him back. I think they'd be foolish to just completely write him off. The 5-125, if that's really what the value is, you got you to gotta make it happen. I think that's a completely fair contract for both sides. I think it's very suitable for every single person involved. I'd be happy to give it out. Do the Mets sign Stroman, yes or no? Gut feeling? No. See, I think yes. I think Stroman's coming back. All right, gut feeling is no. I don't think they will, but I hope they do. Yes, I, I think they're going to make it happen. I think especially with Syndergaard walking, they're going to pull the trigger on Stroman. But that's yet to be seen. And of course, when Strowman does sign, we're going to talk about it, regardless if it is with the Mets or another team. It's something that we are going to have to talk about because we'll probably, if he's not with the Mets, complain about why we didn't pay him enough or why we didn't, why we cheaped out or whatever it's going to be. I re- Billy Epler, man, you've spent money on some crazy players. Spend it on Marcus Strowman as one of them, please. He's way better than some of the investments you made in LA with the Angels. This one is a pretty sure bet. And then now we're going to lead into our final part of the episode here, the Brett Beatty interview. We did it in the Arizona Fall League. It was an absolute pleasure to talk to Brett. Here's the interview. All right, guys, messed up podcast. Here we go. We've got another interview with another top Mets prospect, New York Mets player, Brett Beatty, third baseman outfielder for the Binghamton Mets this past season, as well as Brooklyn Cyclones. Going to ask him a few questions. We're here in Arizona at the Fall League. Don't want to take too much time. He's got to catch the bus. So we're going to be quick here. We're going to start firing some off. So first, got to ask you, when you got drafted, we heard the nickname is Brett the Met. Uh, is that, like, actually real, or is that, like, you know, just kind of trying to keep it loose a little bit? Yeah, that's funny. My mom actually has a picture of me playing uh, Little League in a, in a Mets uniform, and we sent it to the Mets after I got drafted. But, yeah, I did play for the Mets growing up a little bit, just in peewee ball, Little League ball. So, yeah, it was pretty cool. That's freaking crazy. But sticking with your youth, tell us who your favorite player was growing up, your favorite team, and who, if anybody, you think you model your game after. Yeah, man, I grew up a Texas Ranger fan, and growing up, I, I would always watch Michael Young and Adrian Beltre just playing third base over there like me so uh those were two of the guys that i that i definitely looked up to when i was little um so you played uh at lake travis high school and there's a lot of great quarterbacks that have come through there baker mayfield garrett gilbert we read somewhere that the mets like top scout said you could have been qb1 but we didn't find anything did you play any other sports like base or basketball football anything like that yeah i played i played football uh all the way up until i was a freshman and one of my best receivers actually might be a top 10 pick this year um wide receiver at ohio state garrett wilson so I got to throw to him. I went to Ohio State. I, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So you, so you know Penn Garrett State. pretty well. I, I mean, yeah, yeah. As well, probably as you. But yeah. yeah, more or less. <laughs> um, yeah, so I was a quarterback growing up. Uh, I loved football. It's just Texas high school football takes a lot out of you, and I really wanted to focus on baseball. But I also played basketball for my dad. He was a varsity basketball coach at my high school, so I played basketball all the way until I was a senior. 
Um, and I just really, I really loved playing all different types of sports growing up. If you were to create a starting five, including you, so I guess a starting other four, of all the players you've played with in the Mets system, who would be in your lineup? Uh, I definitely have to put Jalen in there because he's just so athletic. He's a freak. Yeah, and then um, I'd want to get a little bit of meanness in my lineup, so I'd get Francisco Alvarez in there, <laughs> get him, get a little tough little bully. Um a, yeah, a center, I'm probably honestly taking Colin Holderman just because he's so big and tall, so I'm going to put him down there, and then maybe at point guard, grab Jake Mangum or something, make him yeah. quick around there. Um, and then maybe as, a, maybe as a shooter, go with uh, someone like Luke Ritter, let's say, or something like that. Uh, you got to play a little bit in New York this year with the Cyclones. What was it like to play in front of like a New York audience or a New York fan base? That's yeah, yeah. So I got to play in Brooklyn in 2019, and I got a little taste of it uh, going up there for the playoffs, won- winning the championship. And then just going there this year, I was a lot more comfortable and playing in front of those great fans up there. It was an aw- awesome atmosphere out there on Coney Island. So uh, that's just a really good stepping point to go up to uh, Queens and City Field. So I'm glad I got to experience that. Did you enjoy your time in New York? Yeah, I really did. I actually really grew to love the city. Um, I was kind of skeptical going in, just being New York and everything. I'm from Texas. I don't really know the big city that well. Uh, but I actually really enjoyed being in the city all the time. It was really fun. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Now, we're going to jump back to your high school days real quick. And we noticed that as a senior, you picked up the ball and stepped on the mound and had a pretty incredible year out there with an ERA under one in 50 innings. I mean, have you heard of Shohei Otani? Are you going to be the next great two-way player in the major leagues? Uh, I think I'm just going to focus on hitting probably at the pro level, but I did I did pitch a little bit in high school, and that was really fun. Just just any way to help my team win, honestly, it was really fun. And then in terms of other positions, so I got a little time in the outfield as well. Uh, drafted typically as a third baseman, but now playing a little bit more outfield. How comfortable do you feel out there? Is that something that you're looking forward to, or you like third base more? Yeah, man, I, I just like going out there and showing off a little bit of versatility, a little bit of athleticism, just being able to play different positions because you never know what's going to happen in the big leagues you never know who's going to go down or who's going to get traded or anything like that and you never know where the open spot's going to be so I just don't want to limit myself to one position so I I I really do enjoy it out there for sure as a hitter your approach you know you've talked about having a five o'clock hitter seven o'clock hitter left center approach is it something that you're still consciously trying to do has anything changed over the last year um, in terms of you know how you're trying to approach the baseball yeah I mean as far as BP at five o'clock I'm just trying to I'm really just trying I'm not really trying to put on a show or anything I thought that out there I'm just really trying to get ready for the seven o'clock game like you said uh, but as far as my approach I, I really when I'm going well I'm staying within myself and I'm trying to drive the ball up the middle uh, and, t- and good things tend to happen so uh, just pr- probably just trying to stay as small as possible just because um, when I do hit the ball it, it is pretty hard so it, it can go out to all fields so uh, just probably staying up the middle and staying small for me. How do you use information that the team gives you in terms of your hitting approach to either help you or is there anything that you maybe shy away from in terms of information as a hitter? Uh, I'm all for all the information I can. I really um, just take everything in and I ask questions on stuff I don't understand um, but I love all the information they give us. It really helps out a lot. Um, I also I kind of pick and choose what I what I like to hear and what I like to listen to, um, but at the end of the day they're they're just trying to help us win ball games so uh, it's all of it's really good. A little follow up to that something I've been really curious about just being at the fall league and watching these games. There's so many different organizations here. How do how does the information compare to what you get during the minor league season? Like are these organizations teaming up to give you things or are you getting things specifically from the mess they're telling you to do or how does that work? Yeah, I mean the Diamondbacks have been great. Uh, we're over at their field at Salt River so they, they've been great with all the information and stuff but it's just a little bit more um, detailed during the season just because we've seen the same guys over and over again and these sometimes these are our first time seeing these guys so the information in the season is just a little bit more detailed but 
um, they definitely have been great about giving us all the information they have. Now, I know you have to catch the bus. We won't want to keep you too much longer. So thank you for coming on. We do appreciate it. Maybe we'll be able to get you on another time, get you on a little bit longer, ask you a few more questions. But tell everybody where they can find you on social media, anything you want to plug real quick. Uh, yeah, my Instagram is uh, Brett.Vady, or Brett Vady, I think. And then my, uh, my Twitter is the same thing. So uh, if you find me on there, that's good. Awesome. Thanks so much for doing this, man. Yeah, thanks for it. having me. How cool is Brett Beatty? Let me tell you something. I have been looking up Beatty cards all week. I'm so in on this guy. One, because he, he was really personable and he was super comfortable. Not that we're anything big by any means, but no. we've seen some of the guys that we talked to. These young kids can get a little uh, skittish around the camera. He was super comfortable, answered all the questions so well, gave great answers. And the dude is a ball player. He's so good. He's also such a nice guy. Like, well, how, how polite was Brett Beatty to the people working at the, uh, that we're in Mesa, at the Mesa facility, to all of the media folks that were around us, to the people who were raking the field. There was a woman behind the dugout who very politely, very concisely said, have a good night to every single player on the roster by first and last name. Brett Beatty was the last guy to leave, so he turned around, waved, and said, yeah, thank you. We had the little kids who were screaming, Brett Beatty, and he Beatty. gave him a hello, said, hi, yeah. how are you guys? Like, he's, he's a very complete player. Any sort of qualms that I had of Brett Beatty, going into this, you know, upcoming season. I feel really good about him. His swing looks really good. He's a lot more athletic than I thought. Way more athletic. A lot of people miss on that scouting report because all through the pre-draft process, people talked about Brett Beatty having to move to first base at some point because he wasn't, he was like too stiff to play third in the corner outfield. The guys can really move. And I hope that like surprised a lot of listeners that he was such an accomplished athlete, three-sport athlete growing up. And that's the thing. Just to tie it back into what we're talking about, Strowman has preached always you should be playing all these other sports because it, one, helps with injuries, and two, like you just get to move different muscles of your body that don't necessarily always get used in baseball. Brett Beatty is a tall drink of water, and he is a great athlete. He swings the bat beautifully. He played well in the Fall League All-Star game as well, smacking that ball to left center field. I fell in love with this swing. I fell in love with the way he plays. I'm buying all his cards right now. I'm so in. Yeah, I, I would not be shocked if we see Brett Beatty in Queens next year by, like, June or July. Yeah, I, I, definitely, I definitely think we can see that. And that's kind of where we're going to end this episode here, guys. Episode number 61 of the Mets The Podcast. Make sure you drop us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, wherever you listen to us. Follow us on Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, at Mets Up. You'll be able to find all the content that we're posting over there as well. And that's pretty much where we're going to end it here. I got, I got nothing else to plug. I got nothing else to talk about. We'll see you on the next episode of the Messed Up Podcast. Peace out, guys. Peace out, guys. Thanks for listening.